Hey, welcome to the Fusion ATL podcast. This is Pastor Vance. If you're not familiar with Fusion, we are the Young Adult Ministry for Victory World Church in Norcross, Georgia. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Fusion ATL. I hope you enjoy this message and we look forward to seeing you soon. Good evening, Fusion. It is good to see you guys. Really? Every week, like every week, it's good to see you, manners, people. You say, it's good to see you too. Man, we're at church and we got to learn just regular, oh, being polite. Man, if somebody says that to you, normally if somebody gives you a greeting, you give them a greeting in return, all right? So good evening, Fusion. There we go. It really is good to see you guys. Um, Thank you. See? Woo! Thank you. All right. Now I feel like family. That's, That's what is supposed to be taking place here. I'm not just trying to get up here and just give you guys talks, all right? This is something special. I view you guys legitimately as a family. And I think that we are here trying to grow together, trying to learn together, I get up here and I try to share with you guys a lot of times what I'm learning at the time. And so I care about what you guys have going on. And so when I say hello, I'm just asking for y'all to say hello back. All right, cool. So today, it's Tuesday. It is somewhat of a bittersweet week in our nation. Um, Our whole nation has been affected by the loss of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, and everyone else, seven other people who were on a helicopter with him. Um, And it's really, I think, it's interesting. I mean, if you've scrolled on social media at all, that's all anybody's talking about. Have you guys seen that? That's what's on everybody's minds. And it's interesting. It it really, it makes us think about our own lives. It, it It feels wrong. You know, have you, do you guys feel that way? Do you guys feel like it feels wrong? So it's been really been making me think because it's interesting. The only guarantee about this life that we have is that it's going to end. The only guarantee is that it's temporary, but every time life ends, it feels wrong. It feels unnatural. It feels like it feel, I feel like we all feel like it would be better if everyone in that incident were still alive right now. Like that would be better in our opinion, in our perspective. And I don't think that we feel that way for no reason. You know, the reason that it feels unnatural, I think we actually find it in scripture. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, talking about God, it says he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. And so that's why no matter what people claim to believe faith-wise, death feels wrong because God has planted eternity, set it in our heart to where that's what we expect. Isn't that wild that we know we have to die and we know everybody has to die? And yet when it happens, It's a shock, and it feels wrong. That's because God 
feels the same way. God is no more a fan of death than any of us. In fact, that's why Jesus, when he revealed himself to the apostle John, his friend, after he was resurrected and John is in exile on an island, exiled for preaching the gospel, he has what's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of revelations is what a lot of us call it. But it was, he was writing down a revealed truth. He saw Jesus. Jesus showed up to him in a vision and shared something with him. And one of the things that he said, Jesus talking to John, who knew him, he said, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. God holds the keys. Why is that important? Because outside of Jesus, the ending of this life is tragic, and nobody understands that more than Jesus. Nobody cares about that more than Jesus. That's why he says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. If this were not a tragic thing in God's eyes, he wouldn't have stepped in and died in our place so that we don't have to experience death. The apostle Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's another scripture that says, oh, death, where is your sting? This is why Jesus came. This is why we're here. And I hope that that resonates in our hearts tonight, because when Jesus says that he's the light of the world, and then he says that we are the light of the world, this is why. Because outside of Jesus, do you know how depressing? It doesn't matter what you do in this life. It has to end, and you can't bring any of it with you. That's sad. That's depressing. Jesus, the hope that he came and gave us, is that what we do in this life will actually continue on. And we'll experience a more life a more real, a more abundant, a more blessed life when we leave this reality than what we're experiencing here. I don't know if that's a big deal to you guys, but I know that that's a big deal to me because I know I can't be here forever. And I know that as young adults, as young people, man, a lot of times we're not really facing that. We're not thinking about that. But this is the most important news that we have. This is why Jesus calls his message the good news. The gospel means good news. The good news is he's taken away the sting of death. He holds the keys of death. Do you know how important that is? You cannot escape death on your own. Nobody's been able to do it. Nobody's been able to get up out of a grave except for Jesus Christ. And he did it. He did it. And then he's invited us to do the same. He's invited us into eternal 
life. And we've been in a series called The Parable where we're talking about a story that Jesus told. It's a parable where he was communicating a particular message. And the message was really the heart of it was there is a very important truth that God wants to reveal to everyone. And how we receive that and respond to it will either yield beautiful results or have dire consequences. And I think that on a week like this week, this message is more important than ever because our mortality, eternity, is kind of at the forefront of everybody's minds. And so I think that it's actually a beautiful opportunity for God to share the good news with all of us and for us to be equipped to share the good news with everybody else. Amen? All right, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into tonight's message. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your gospel, your good news. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom and the fact that you want your kingdom to invade here, a kingdom of life, a kingdom of eternal life, a kingdom where there is no sickness, a kingdom where there is no death. Lord, we thank you that you hold the keys to everything that tries to bind us and keep us in bondage and keep us locked up. So, Lord, I just declare freedom over your people tonight. Build us up. Reveal your heart to us. Reveal your truth to us. Equip us for this journey. Equip us for this life. Lord, equip us for the time that we have left because none of us know how long that is. So, Lord, we say be glorified. Speak to your people Help me to decrease and just increase so that you can be heard. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So last week, we were talking about Matthew 13, 22, and we were talking about the thorns. So if you're not familiar with what we've been talking about lately, we've been talking about a parable that it's a story that takes place in three of the Gospels. And Jesus talks about as farmers sowing seed and he scatters seed and he says that some of the seed falls on a footpath where birds came and ate it up. We talked about that the first week. Then he says that some of it fell on rocky ground. The first footpath is a hardened heart. A a footpath is made of soil, but it's been beaten so hard. It's as hard as the road and no seed can penetrate it. And that's some of our hearts, that we've heard the gospel, we've heard the good news, we've heard about Jesus, but our hearts have been so hard and so conditioned by our experiences or by messages that we've allowed into our hearts and into our minds that we just can't even receive it. And so it never penetrates. And then the second soil that he talks about is rocky soil. And the rocky soil is a soil where the seed slightly penetrates and sprouts up quickly But there's no root because there's a layer of rock underneath. So that soil is only like two to three inches deep. And so when the sun comes out and starts beating on it with the heat, it withers up because there's no root underneath to get nourishment. And that's talking about people who quickly receive the truth, quickly receive the news about Jesus Christ, but don't really think about what it's going to cost. And don't really know what they're getting themselves into. 
And so when trouble comes and challenges come, because life with Jesus is not just a cakewalk, and he never says that it will be, when the challenges come that he says will come, those people fall away. And then this third soil, we started last week, and we're going to continue today. He says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So in this particular case, it's growing, but there's also thorns growing with it, wrapping around it and choking it out. And last week we talked about the first thing that he says there, which is the worries of this life, the anxieties, the worries, all of the things that we can worry about. Do you guys remember last week's message? Have you guys, has, has anybody experienced any improvement over the last week? Okay. I'm happy to hear because we always have things to worry about. And so uh, a few people told me that I didn't get to the third step because I gave like three, I was saying there are three steps when anxiety tries to creep up. The third one wasn't really super profound, right? The first two were really what you needed. When anxiety and worry tries to creep up, you ask yourself, what can I do about this right now? So like that midnight, you were trying to sleep, eyes go open. Oh my gosh, I have to X, Y, Z. What can I do about this right now? Step two, do that. Anybody want to know what the third one was? Move on. (laughs) That was step three. What can I do about this right now? Do that. Move on. Profound. All right, so this week we're talking about the deceitfulness of wealth. Jesus says that the deceitfulness of wealth can choke the word, and this message is just called the thorns part two. And so I want to start by talking about what is deceitful about wealth. What's wrong with it? Well, nothing's inherently wrong with wealth, but Jesus says that wealth, riches, are deceitful, meaning... They can have us thinking the wrong thing. They can point us in the wrong direction. Does anybody know what it means to be deceived? It means you're thinking one thing and that thing is wrong. And so you can be thinking one way about riches, about wealth, and they can start steering and cultivating a mindset that's wrong. And the first thing that I want to talk about, about what's deceitful about wealth is that wealth can give you a false sense of security. And I think that's one of the most deceitful things about wealth. I think we're all confronted with that when tragic events like this past weekend take place because we're all confronted with the fact that, man, ending life, there's nothing you can own. There's nothing you can possess. There's nothing you could do to keep your life if God does not keep your life. Jesus says that no bird falls out the air without the Father allowing it to happen. But we can get to a place where we can feel like we can fly and we won't fall because we can secure ourselves and our lives by what we accomplish and what we build. And we start to try to build our own kingdom 
and we can get a really false sense of security. You guys know what I'm talking about? And I think what's dangerous is we can be in this cycle of these two things, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, because wealth will give you this false sense of security like it's the solution to your worries in life. So many of the things that we're worried about, we feel like if we had more money, we wouldn't be worried about nearly as much. Will anybody admit that they feel that way? Like, you feel like if you had $100 million, you would have significantly less worries right now. Does anybody feel that way? Okay, thank you for being real. Because most of us do. And it's a reasonable, it's actually a reasonable assumption to make. Because just about anything in this world that's tangible, you can buy. And so it's easy to think, all right, well, man, if I could just pay for anything that I needed, I could have anything that I needed, and then I wouldn't have any worries. However, not everything that you need can be bought. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, because these two brothers are arguing about an inheritance from their father. This would be most of us, actually. Arguing about security. This inheritance that's going to be passed down is a sense of security. I want this money because I will be good if I have this money. They're arguing about it. One brother is not trying to share it with the other brother. So they have Jesus, the savior of of the universe, the light of the world, God in the flesh, standing in front of them. And of all the things that they could have asked him, of all the things they could have asked him in that moment, they say, the guy, one of the brothers says to Jesus, Jesus, tell my brother to share this inheritance with me. Jesus says, who appointed me? as an arbiter between you two. Who appointed me as the person to make this decision? Interesting, right? Then he said to them, watch out, with an exclamation point. Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's a word. You're worried about the wrong thing. You think that your security is in this inheritance. So much so that you have your actual security standing in front of you. Your source of eternal life, the salvation of your soul, and you're asking me about money. Asking me to solve an argument. Who cares who gets the money? Is what Jesus is saying. Be on your guard because your life does not consist of that. Your life is not made up of that. I think that is interesting, the verbiage that he uses that. Like, life is not made 
of your possessions. That's not how you can measure your life and the quality of your life. The quality of your life is not determined by what you have. That's saying a lot. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So what does life consist of? Well, Jesus said that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. Isn't that interesting? That he says life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, but I came to give you life and life more abundantly than what you have. So life does consist of the abundance of something, but it's not your possessions. Maybe it's the abundance of Jesus in your life. And I know that might sound cliche to some of us, but the reality is Jesus is the creator of all things. It says that all things were created by him, for him, and through him. He's not lacking anything. So the person who has access to everything in the entire universe is saying, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, and you need to watch out and be on your guard, like put your hands up against all kinds of greed because that's coming for your life, and you can waste your whole life building a kingdom that's going to burn up. You can waste your whole life investing in the wrong places. Wealth can give you a false sense of security, Because there is no security in it. It can't protect you against the the enemies that you're actually facing. In fact, it can become an enemy to you and enslave you. Has anybody realized that no matter... All right, I'm going to just ask a question and then I'll get to that piece. Does anybody feel like they wish they had more money right now? Look at the hands. Keep your hands up if you're being real. And look around. Everybody, do you understand the range of incomes in this place? That the person behind you may make twice what you're making. And they feel like they need more. Somebody in the back over there, they might be making quadruple, 10 times what you're making. They had their hand up. There is no security in the amount of things that you possess. It's actually chasing after the wind. Like Solomon says, you never actually get that security that you're looking for. You just get more stuff. And then you're like, man, I need more stuff. In fact, Paul says to Timothy, who is a leader, a young leader that he's training, a son of his in the faith. He says to Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I want to correct Some of our understanding of this scripture, because the whole world quotes this scripture wrong and it's annoying. Money is the root of all evil. No, no, it's not. 
Money is an inanimate object created by people. The love of it by us is the root of all kinds of evil. When you devote your heart to that inanimate object, it's a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's not just saying, hey, don't want money. He's saying there's a result of when you devote your heart to this stuff because it doesn't give you the security that you want. It gives you a false sense of security, so false that you never reach it and you can spend your whole life chasing it. And in doing so, you can wander from the only treasure you actually have, which is eternal life. And pierce yourself with many griefs. This is what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, some people have wandered from the faith and they're having a great life right now. No, that's not what he says. He says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, meaning it's inspiring people to do all kinds of evil things. And a lot of times, man, our conscience can get so seared that we don't feel like we're doing anything evil. But for some money, we will do some things. And justify it in our minds and block out the voice of God because you know he's over here like, you know that's wrong, right? (laughs) You don't have to do that for that little bit of money that's going to be gone in two weeks. And you really want to like put a block between our relationship right now so you don't have to hear my voice so that you can, in your mind, build some security. The love of money, but in, oh, but in our minds, we'll be like, it's the love of my family. I'm trying to provide. Got to do what I got to do. And a lot of us don't even realize that it's the love of money. And it's not because we're passionate about money. It's because we have placed our security in money. And so we don't feel greedy, but then we are, and then we justify it because it can do good things. Oh, man, I could take care of people. Oh, I can pay my bills on time. Yeah, I may not be doing what God told me to do. I may be going down a career path that I know God is telling me this is not for you. You're not even particularly gifted in this area. This is not really how I made you. But somebody's telling you that this is going to build security in your life. And for that security, you're just going and chasing it. And you'll never find the security that you're looking for outside of God, outside of Jesus Christ, the source of everything that we need. He has everything that we need. And if we could get the revelation, you and I, that Jesus No matter what we have in our bank account, no matter what we own, that we can find contentment and peace in him alone. Like Paul said, a lot of us hear, oh, I can do all things through Christ. And we use that scripture to be like, I can be a doctor through Christ, even if I'm not called to. I can be in the NBA through Christ. 
even if I'm not called to. I can do anything through Christ. But what Paul was saying in that scripture, what he said before that was, I've learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. I've had plenty and I've had little. I've been hungry and I've been full. I've been cold. I've been warm. And you know what I found? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. I've had an abundance and I've had little. And you know what I've found? The treasure is contentment. The treasure is peace. The treasure is experiencing the love of God. The treasure is knowing that no matter what happens to me today, I'm in the hands of God. That if my life ends today, I'm with Jesus. Who can take anything from me? If God is with me, who can be against me? That's the treasure. That's the security. But the love of money, placing your security in things, your identity in things, trying to compete with other people over some stuff, feeling like, man, buying a car is one of, uh, it's one of the challenging things that we face in life because it feels like a downhill, like, not downhill, it feels like an uphill battle. I was talking to some of my family about this over this weekend. It's interesting because it's like a lose-lose unless you get it for free. Like you pay more than you want to pay. You get less than you really want, even if you get the best car right now, two years from now. And then five years from now, my goodness. And that's everything. Everything gets old Everything gets used. Everything except for what's not tangible. Only what God gives us actually lasts. Thank you. It's hard to hear and it's hard to live it out, but it's real. It's like all of this stuff is just stuff. That gets old and never provides you the security that you're looking for. But many of us, especially as young people, man, we feel like if we don't have this, if we don't have a great car, if we don't have a great home. So many of us feel behind in life because of what we don't have. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions even though the rest of the world tells you that it does, even though the rest of the world tells you that by 18, you need to know what you want to do with the rest of your life. By 25, you already need to have the 401k going and you should own a home. Oh, you're 30 and you don't own a home? You're way behind. You're renting? Oh my gosh. You're pouring money down the drain. It's going down the toilet. You don't own anything. You don't have any assets. Bruh. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And you will learn that the standard that society has set for the last 50 years, that was different before that, that was different before that, that was different before that, is not what's eternal. What God says is eternal. And you know what? 
I don't think Jesus cares all that much if you're renting or buying. As long as you're honoring him in the process. And I don't think you being low on funds is keeping God from doing anything in your life. Unless you're just being irresponsible and not listening to him. But life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. What God can do in your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. God is not limited by what you have or don't have. He is only limited by your availability. And so when we say, God, I'm available for you, even though I don't feel like I have anything to offer you right now. Great. You're in the perfect position because he has everything. He doesn't need anything. Amen? All right. Point two on that was wealth can take your focus off of what's most important. In Mark 8, 34 through 37, it says that Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, the good news, will save it. Meaning, if you want to keep this temporary life, the chase for the abundance of possessions, giving yourself as a slave to the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of all that you can attain here, if you want to keep that, you will lose the true life, your eternal life. But when you lay down the worries of this life, when you lay down the concerns of this world and you say, God, I'm giving you everything and you can use this temporary bit of time that I have here to invest in your big plan, in your eternal plan, in the eternity of others and myself. That's when he says you truly gain life. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul. This last piece is what gets me. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What do you own that you could give God in exchange for your soul? What can you buy? What can you save up? How much could you save up to say, I know I don't have salvation through your son who paid the ultimate price that I can't pay, but I do have these benefits over here. I do have this 401k or 403b. I do have this IRA over here. I'm getting a great return on this savings account over here. You think we can make an exchange? Jesus is saying, what can anyone give in exchange? Only he had the answer because he was the only person who was ever able to give anything in exchange for anybody's soul. He gave his life, his perfect life, his sinless life, his life where he was not concerned about the worries of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth. He came here. He lived not a great life, a challenging life. Isaiah 53, read it. It foreshadows the life of Jesus And it's sad. It says that he was cut off. 33 years old. If anybody died early, Jesus Christ was crucified. An innocent man 
beaten, bloodied, tortured, crucified at 33 years old, cut off. It says that he had no descendants. And yet he said that that was him truly living life. Can you imagine the perspective? He also said in another scripture that nobody can talk about heaven except for the one who's been there. And I think that it's that perspective that enabled him to lay down this temporary stuff. To look at the latest Roman technology and not be super swayed by it. Not get caught up in, oh man, hey God, I know you sent me here to die, but I don't want to do that anymore. Look at all this stuff. I want a wife. I want to hang out with my friends longer. You don't think Jesus had these thoughts? It says that he was fully man and fully God. And it also says that he is familiar with every temptation and every trial that we face. Sometimes I know for me, it's easy to think that, oh, well, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was God. Jesus didn't struggle. No, it says that he was familiar with every temptation that we have, including the temptation to lay down the eternal plan for his life for something temporary. And that's what the enemy tried to tempt him with. Even in the wilderness. He said, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. You don't think that was tempting? That happens to us all the time. Man, if you'll just not listen to God, you can have a husband. If you'll just not listen to God, you can have a wife. You can have some fun right now. Why are you trying to stay pure? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know God told you that it might be a great testimony for you, and it might help a lot of people stay away from a lot of pain, and it might do a lot of healing. However, you could just have fun right now. Jesus was aware of that temptation. Jesus experienced that temptation. And that's what we're facing all the time. And Jesus is saying when we're willing to lay down some temporary pleasures, some temporary fun, that's when we find true life because this life is just a vapor. In James, he says that our life is, what is your life except a mist? And he was talking about like the morning dew. You ever walk outside and the grass is wet? And then, like, you go into work and you come out for lunch and everything's dry. Gone. You don't even think about it. When's the last time you thought about the dew that was there in the morning? That's what Jesus is saying. Like, that's how quick your life is. There was probably some guy named, like, Bartholomew who lived in 1647 and had a complicated life. And none of us remember. Jesus does, though. And what he did in 1647 is for sure affecting what's happening right now and will be happening for the rest of eternity. And Jesus is inviting us into a life of abundance and peace and eternity with him. All right, so how do we live free from the control of materialism? That's really what this comes down to. One, We have to shift, and this is going to be a little bit to write down so you can leave that. We have to shift from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset that is founded on faith in Christ. That sounds like a mouthful. Here's what I'm saying. Part of the challenge that we're facing 
in the rat race that we live in and when we're chasing after stuff is we feel like there's not enough of it. We feel like there's only so much and I got to get some. There's only so much money in the world. There's only so much time and we get in this rat race and scarcity says so that we can understand better. Scarcity says a scarcity mindset says resources are limited. I have to provide for myself. I have to compete with other people for resources because they're limited. And so I got to get mine. You got to get yours. I have to fight for what I need or I won't have it. But what's interesting is in Psalm 24, 1, it says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. God is not experiencing any type of scarcity or shortage. When we can live with an abundance mindset, it will change our perspective and help us to step out of a rat race. Abundance says God has plenty. God will provide all of my needs. What God has for me is for me. Oh, man. That's one of our biggest struggles. We're looking at what everybody else has, feeling like we don't have enough. They're more popular. They have more. They're more successful. They have what we're looking for. And we get in these competitions with other people instead of understanding that God is not lacking anything. And if he created you, he created you for a purpose. And that purpose included the provision for everything that you need. Amen. Jesus said, consider the birds. That's what we talked about last week. He said, they're all fed. None of them go without food. Are you not more valuable to God than a bird? He knows what you need. And this will help us to get away from the control and get out from under the control of chasing after material things, understanding that as long as I do my part, God will handle the rest. In Psalm 50, God said, God is talking that talk in this scripture, and I love it. He says, he's talking to the, the Israelites who, at that time, they sacrificed to him. They sacrificed bulls and rams and goats. And he's clarifying for them and giving them some perspective here. He says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. Every animal in the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains. Every bird, you know them all. And the insects in the field are mine, even the roaches. His ways are higher than our ways. I wouldn't have made roaches, but he has a better plan. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Like, God is not coming to you like, hey, hey, Vance, I'm starving right now. Do you have anything? No. He says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. I wouldn't even mention it to you if I was hungry, and I'm not, because I'm good. The world is mine and all that is in it. 
Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? He's saying you're sacrificing things to me. And I want to remind you that this is for you. You think that when you give me that goat like I'm eating it? Am I drinking the blood of goats? No, I don't want that goat. This is for you. And this is building relationship between you and me. This is me helping you to free yourself from your possessions by slaughtering your possessions and just giving it away. Knowing that I'm going to provide for you. And I own everything. What I think that if this were translated into our times, God would be saying, I don't need a dollar of your money. Like, do I go to the bank? Do you think I have an account at Wells Fargo? You think I have a savings account? I don't need your money. Do I go to the store? Do I stand in line and buy stuff? Like, that's what God is saying. Reminding us, giving us perspective. I don't need anything. At all. I own everything. And this should lead us into this second point where we have to learn to live as God's children and his heirs. I'm going somewhere with this. He says he owns everything. He doesn't need anything. And then in Galatians 4, 6 through 7, he says, you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, father, that means daddy. He's put a spirit in us that recognizes him as our father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir, meaning you have access to everything that he has and he's not lacking anything. He has everything and he cares about you. So don't let the concerns of this life choke out what he's trying to communicate, because when he told you that he had a purpose for your life, when he told you to follow him, when he told you to lay down your life, he already knew what you would have to sacrifice in the process, and it didn't sway him. He already knew that you would have needs and it didn't sway him. When he told you to take this next step that looks like you're going to be losing out or you're missing something, when he told you to take that job that pays you less money, he already knew what you would need. He already knows what you need. When he told you to stay home, And not take that job that has you traveling all over the place, away from your family. When he told you to do that, he already knew what you'd be giving up. And it didn't sway him. Why? Because he doesn't operate in our economy and he is not limited by our economy. And we are his children. And he's saying we have access to everything that he has and he will provide. Somebody say God will provide. Say it like you mean it one more time. God will provide. And if he doesn't, he's not who he says he is because he says that he will take care of us. And so last, as God's children, we should operate with wisdom, integrity and radical generosity. This is my last point. Knowing that we're not lacking anything, we should not be bound by our worries Meaning no matter who has what, you can have whatever you want in your bank account. It will not affect whether God will provide for me or not. So I am not competing with you. 
I don't care if you hire me or fire me because God provides. God has what I need. And so when I have that mindset, I'm not competing with anybody. I can actually operate with wisdom because I'm not in a rat race trying to cut corners, be deceitful, or do anything shady. I can operate with integrity, meaning I don't have to mess you over to get what I need because God will provide. And I can be radically generous like God is to me. So meaning whatever I have, I can give it away. Why? Because that's how God operates. And I know God honors that. And the more that we get into relationship with God and the more that we understand who he is, we won't be closed fisted. You know, Jesus actually says, even a sinner can give away a loan and expect to be repaid. What good is it if you do that? So when you give, don't demand it be returned. That's radical. And he said that. Only way we can do that is if we have this type of mindset, an abundance mindset, meaning, all right, you need something from me? I would love to provide for you as an extension of who God is and do something for you that God already does for me. And whether you pay me back or not, you're not my provider. So I will be good. God will take care of me. That money is not going to change my life, but God will. And I hope it changes yours. I hope this is an opportunity for God to do something. So when we do stuff here, like heart of the house, our initiative here at Victory, where 100% of the proceeds goes outside of the church. This past Christmas, we did Christmas gift to the world where we gave to a ministry in Uganda. That can only happen when we understand that God is our provider. We have an abundance mindset and not a scarcity mindset, knowing that if I write this check, I'm not going to die because God is going to take care of me as I am making myself available and my resources available to take care of his people and to further his mission and to try to do what he wants to do in the earth. God is going to take care of me. Even if, you know what I truly believe? I feel like you could feel like, yo, I heard from God. I'm going to give this to this person or this cause. And then you know what can happen after that? You can be like, maybe I didn't hear from God. I believe that God is alive and he will take care of you anyway. That's how I operate. It's taken a while to get there. But I just feel like, man, if I believe this, then I really believe it. If, I, if God is a provider and I say I believe he's a provider, I got to give him an opportunity to provide. Not try to be my own provider and then say, God will provide, but I'm going to hold on to this. So as we're closing out tonight, I want us to go back to where we started. Jesus said the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And my prayer 
is that will not be any of us, that the truth of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives will never be unfruitful in our lives, that what God wants to do in us, what he wants to communicate to us will be life-changing, life-altering. We will actually walk this out and see the results of it. Amen? I want to invite us all to pray and pray earnestly for God to shift some things around in our hearts. Because this is a challenge that we all face. He wouldn't have said it if it wasn't happening to a lot of people. And I think this is a test we all have to walk through. God has a purpose for each and every one of us here. An important purpose. And a purpose he has provided for already. He already has the plan. He already has the resources. All he needs is your yes. And if the worries of this life and you trying to build your own kingdom and you trying to find this false sense of security and find security in something that'll never bring it to you, if that stands in the way of you giving God a yes, I want to pray for each and every person because that would be devastating. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Father, I thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I thank you that your word is eternal. Lord, I thank you that every person here has a powerful calling on their lives. Lord, I pray against every lie from the enemy that would try to tell them that they don't. Every lie that would try to separate us from who you are, from relationship with you, and from what you're speaking to us. Lord, help us to quiet the anxiety. Help us to quiet the worries. Help us to quiet the noise from the temporary things of this life, even though they seem enormous sometimes. Lord, help us to hear your truth. Help us to soften our hearts. Lord, would you soften our hearts so that your truth can penetrate Lord, you said that you will give us a new heart and put a new spirit within us. Lord, would you make that real for each and every person here today who needs a refresher? Who says this old heart can't receive anything. I need a new one. God, would you do that? Would you open our minds? Would you open our ears? Would you open our eyes to who you are, to what you're saying? And would you help us to say yes to you? Lord, for every person who wants to say yes to you today, Lord, I just say on all of our behalves, thank you, we love you, we trust you, and we say sign us up tonight. Maybe you're in here and you're saying, I want to say yes to God, but I haven't said yes to salvation yet. I want to offer you the opportunity to pray this prayer and everybody around the building is going to pray this prayer with us, all the believers. So if you'll repeat after me, if you're wanting to receive Jesus today, repeat after me, Jesus, I'm saying yes. 
I believe that you are the son of God, that you came to earth, that you lived a human life, you died a human death, and you resurrected to show that you are fully God and hold the keys of my death in your hands. Lord, I turn away from my old life, from my old sins, from everything that I used to say yes to. And I say yes to you and everything that you have for me forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate? Hey, thank you for listening. We're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you want to get connected any further, please visit fusionatl.org. You can get plugged into a small group there, and you can also send in a prayer request so that we can pray for you. Once again, thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Fusion ATL.